T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. I'm here until 10 o'clock this evening. We have a lot to get to here on this year program, talking plenty of NBA free agency. The microphone literally just flew away from me. <laughs> we have the United States women into the World Cup final. They will take on either Sweden or Holland as they beat England by two goals to one today. What was a tremendous game of footballing action at the Women's World Cup. That's actually where uh, I'm going to begin today. Obviously, plenty on NBA free agency at 6.20. We'll talk to Ira Winderman of the Sun Sentinel. He is at Sacramento Summer League. It is just the weirdest thing in the world to me that free agency starts, and a day later we already have more basketball. It's just insane how thick and fast basketball is coming. Tyler Hero had a, a tremendous debut uh, in Sacramento Summer League, I saw. Now, I have to be honest, uh, it's Summer League... Not for me. It's one of those things that's grown. But, I mean, I I barely watch preseason football. I watch the Dolphins and that's it. But Summer League is a a whole other level. At least in preseason football, you have starters that are playing. Right? That theoretically they start the game. I remember the Dolphins in the second preseason game last year or like playing guys in the second quarter. It has some meaning. NBA preseason, a, a summer league is just... I, I don't understand it. See, the thing is, I love football so much yeah. that I used that I was a we talked about this last week. I was an avid follower of the World Football League. I was really hoping the AAF yeah, would succeed. That's right. The XFL I, I, next year. I I, I I want a spring football league. Mm-hmm. I like minor league football, so I can understand if you're that big a basketball fan and you know you'd enjoy watching the summer league games. Yeah, I mean, to, to me, I just have too balanced of a sporting diet to want to watch summer league. You know. I, and frankly, even the regular season, it's one of the things that's been talked about. The NBA regular season, I mean, you could theoretically put on a game every night. What You know, you're at home, maybe the Heat aren't playing, but there's a game on NBA TV. or I mean, every night, basketball for nine months. It's a lot of basketball. Well, so, I mean, soccer's, soccer doesn't have yeah, an offseason. No, absolutely. And I, I watch a ton of it. But they're all competitive games, you know? It's not like... These summer international tournaments are friendlies where we're just having a nice time. And I'm watching, you know, Serbia play Slovenia in a European friendly. Now, we're playing major tournaments, man. United States has got Jamaica tomorrow night in the Gold Cup semifinal. You got Mexico, Haiti tonight. You uh, you mentioned in your update, you have Brazil, Argentina in the Copa America semifinal. I've got Matelamundo on here in the studio ready to watch at 830 for the kickoff of that one. You got the Marlins playing tonight. So you're saying if it was like high level competitive basketball. Right. Which is, I mean, which is kind of the idea of this uh, NBA Cup that they want to do, which is a, a midseason tournament uh, that is sort of another competition. If that happened after the season, maybe you don't have the, you know, your full on starter, but it was, you know, for something, right? The rights to something for cap space, for whatever you want to call it. Okay. That's one thing. But it's just, I mean, 
So you would, so you, so you would, so exhibitions like exhibitions are just. I'm not, I'm not so watching like exhibitions. Summer, so if summer basketball was like USA basketball. You, you would be into that. At this point. Right, of course. Where, right? I mean, at the Olympics, even even the FIBA World Cup. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Right, like the FIBA. Right, Cup, yeah. I, I th- you know, I'll, I'll watch the FIBA World Cup. It's usually on like on uh, ESPN two, and they have Mark Jones and Fran Fraschilla. I'm all over that. I'll, I'll watch it, but like non-competitive, you know, to to watch prospects developed. I mean. I'll watch them when they're finished articles in the NBA. But uh, we have a lot to get to here on the program. But where I want to start is one of the things that I've learned watching soccer in the last few years is that in major tournaments, winning begets winning. You see this in the UEFA Champions League where Juventus, Real Madrid, Barcelona are the teams that seemingly always get to finals. They always get to the end of the tournaments. And you're watching it going, boy, Juventus has been outplayed. Real Madrid have been outplayed. How are they? How did they win three straight Champions Leagues when it's not like they're ripping teams apart and you're going, wow, this is just clearly the dominant team in this era? I really believe that in these major tournaments, there is absolutely an element of know how to win. When you have a lead, you hold on to it. And look, today the United States had multiple moments in that game against England where it didn't look like they were going to hold on to that lead. First off, you had a second goal that was scored by England that was ruled for offside, a tremendous through ball in from Jill Scott, and it was ruled for offside after video review, which is one of those where if we don't have video review, the assistant referee keeps her flag down because... It's understandable. It's an understandable decision to keep your flag down in live motion, but the England attacker's foot is halfway behind the U.S. defender. The flag would have stayed down for me in a normal situation, and without video review and the, and the referee looking at it a lot, then we don't have that decision. It would have been 2-2 heading towards the end of that game. Then the U.S. give away a penalty again because of video review, and the goalkeeper makes the save, but in some respects... You don't really have to analyze it other than the U.S. have been here before. The U.S. have a sporting tradition in women's soccer that is truly unlike anything else in the world. Any of the teams left at this Women's World Cup, no one has what the United States have, which is experience in big matches again and again and again, and the tradition of winning, the expectation of winning, where you don't freak out at the first sign of panic. And this seems like an intangible, and I'm not really the kind of person that believes that much in intangibles, but given what the U.S. has done in their history in world soccer, these are the kind of moments that beget winning, the kind of moments that are so big, and yet the U.S. is so comfortable, you compare that against their counterparts. So. The U.S. gives away a goal that's overturned for VAR. They give away a penalty that the English then miss, and they totally and completely fell apart after that moment. They totally fell apart after they get after they missed that penalty after it was saved by the U.S. goalkeeper Elisonair. I mean, vomited on the front of their jerseys. They were so bad after that, giving away the ball never creating a chance. They had 10 minutes. One of their center backs got sent off for a terrible sliding tackle. And the English are not 
a team ready for the... They have not won at major tournaments. They have not been really well and truly trying in women's soccer for more than a decade. Really. If that. Because in England, women's soccer has been looked down upon. And to some extent it has here too, but... I mean, really, pre nineteen, you know, there's a pre nineteen ninety nine and post nineteen ninety nine where winning that World Cup in nineteen ninety nine was so important after they won the first one in ninety one. But just in terms of caring, and there are people who are like, "All right, we're behind the women's soccer team," and they're even surprised at the size of the crowds and what happens afterwards. There have been women's leagues that have failed, but they have sort of carried a degree of fame. Mia Hamm is someone that someone who doesn't really follow soccer, knows who Mia Hamm is, who Brandy Chastain is, who Brianna Scurry is. These are 1999 Women's World Cup winners. We've been at this for 20 years. When normally in men's soccer, we have the exact opposite problem, which is we are generations and generations and generations and generations behind the rest of the world because they've been at this for so long. Brazil have been playing in big matches for 80 years. The Germans, the same. But in women's soccer, we're the Germans. We're the big team that everyone else has to knock out. And it's such a difference to watch them play in these sorts of scenarios. The last two matches have been a one-goal lead in second-half stoppage time and against England and France, who are top teams at the Women's World Cup. They never looked anywhere like giving away a goal. Today was seven minutes to be added on at the end of the second half. And normally, if you're in a semifinal, I'm wearing my USA jersey today. I'm a fan. And you should, in theory, be totally nervous, right? Freaking out at any long ball that gets hit forward. And I'm standing there and I'm watching the game. And I can't believe how calm I am. How much I just assume that the U.S. are just going to finish this job like it's nothing, like it's easy. And they did. You carry that expectation. And I felt that in the France match, too, where that one was a bit more nervy in the final 10 minutes of the 90. But again, you're in stoppage time. And it's complete calm and serenity. You feel that sense that they're going to finish the job. And they finished the job. and. Even when you're 2-1 down or you're 2-1 up and you're going against a penalty kick, which is a 76% chance of conversion, you're not entirely nervous that the goalkeeper can't come up with the save. Even though the U.S. at a World Cup in a non-penalty shootout have never saved the penalty before. But you just don't doubt that it can happen because it's the U.S. in women's soccer. And that's such a unique phenomenon in that sport. But also, really, I mean, okay, U.S. men's basketball have it. If they're playing at the Olympics, you're going, okay, they're going to get this done. But to feel confidence that a team will get it done, I mean, even comparing it to local sports, the Miami Heat had the big three, right? LeBron James, Chris Bosh, and Dwayne Wade. And yet, you go into, I remember that first Chicago series in the Eastern Finals, feeling nerves after going one nothing down. Right? I can't. And then obviously they lose the finals. And you're feeling that sense of nerve. You're feeling that. Wait, is LeBron going to save us? No. Then you go into game six in Boston. Again, you have LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosch, three of the 15 best players. And you still feel 
that sense of nerve, right? And I'm wholly unfamiliar with this feeling of confidence that the U.S. women's national team projects, right? Because it's not just that they play with it, it's that they also carry themselves that way off the field, where Ali Krieger, who is a reserve defender, feels, hey, if me and the other reserves in this team got together and formed our own team at the, at the Women's World Cup, we'd go and win it. Or, or, or we'd be competitive with the first U.S. women's team. We'd be just as good as England and France and the Netherlands and Sweden, all these teams that are left. A second U.S. women's team could be theoretically just as competitive. And they feel that. Where Megan Rapino stands after scoring the first goal against France, arms in the air going, are you not entertained? Alex Morgan, after celebrating the goal today, pretends to be sipping tea. Phil Neville, the England manager, actually told a great story about Megan Rapino that he loves Megan Rapino because they're playing at an international tournament here in the U.S. called the She Believes Cup. And the ball is going out of play. And Megan Rapino stretches to try and win it back, even though Phil Neville, the manager for England, is trying to catch it so that she, he, he can take it, give it to one of his players, and they can throw it in. And Rapino is so fervently trying to reach and win this ball that she goes studs into the ball to try and win it back and takes out Phil Neville's Apple Watch, just completely shatters it. And she never apologized, apologized just got on with the game. That's the kind of swagger that the U.S. carry themselves with. The English media was not happy with it. They're saying that it's USA arrogance. It is American arrogance personified. You know what? It is. It is quintessentially American. The way that the U.S. women carry themselves. It's why I think Americans are attracted to rooting for their country because they feel like it's sort of the personification of who they are and why so many fans, the World Cup final is going to be on Sunday Double-digit million people across the United States are be gathering around their televisions to watch it because they like rooting for what America represents in a sporting point of view, and they actually don't feel like the U.S. represent them at all from a men's soccer point of view, which is why there's such great frustration with their program. And yet, I'm kind of the exact opposite, where I like, I really like rooting for the U.S. men because we're so far behind in soccer, and no matter how hard we try, how much money we throw at it, we just don't have good enough players. And we're generation, and like, I kind of like, I enjoy that struggle. But most Americans who watch the Olympics aren't going, well, you know, I really like, I really like seeing the journey of that sprinter going from seventh at the last Olympics to fourth at this one. And we'll see if she can get a silver medal next time in the 200 meter women's net. No, we like dominating. And we like telling you that we're going to kick your ass. Did you see that recent documentary on NBA TV about the dream team? Uh, no, I did not. Okay, well, there's a section in there where, like, a lot of the sports media was going, oh, especially the big media here. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, you know, it's just unfair. This team is just too good, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm like, I didn't think that at all. I wanted the dream team to go in there and just beat the living crap out of them and win by 70 points. Do what they did to Angola to everyone. Exactly. And yeah. you want to know what? And you want to know what? The rest of the world, they were like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> we, right. love, we love getting our right, ass kicked it, by these guys. Because it's the entertainment spectacle. And now, as the rest of the world is paying attention to the Women's World Cup and to women's soccer, I, I do kind of wonder what that means for the future of the American women in a few ways. One... They become bigger stars because I really do think that the world wasn't really paying attention to the Women's World Cup until the last one, which is which is incredible, right? I mean, I think the internet has done so much in this regard to help grow interest in that sport all over the world, but also 
because some of the major nations are now taking this seriously, they're getting better and therefore they're taking it seriously. For me, a real hope for South America to, to get more into this. Um, but obviously there is that element of the become bigger stars, but also the rest of the world is going to catch up to us and probably even supersede us one day because the U.S. don't develop athletes the correct way, right, in the context of soccer, in the context of any sport, really, through the college system. College is not the correct way to develop athletes, right? It is through a professional setup. If you want an NFL quarterback to play an NFL-type system, theoretically, the Miami Dolphins should sign some high school senior somewhere to be a professional now so he learns under professional coaching the way that they want the game played, which is what happens all over the world, right? Manchester City, they sign, you know, Arsenal, Chelsea, whoever. They sign a kid from age seven and teach them how to play exactly how they want them to play. So by the time they become professionals at 19, they're ready to go. That's how we should be developing athletes too, but we don't. We develop them through college, which has a correct influence of wanting to instill education in young players, but at the same time is not correct. So the rest of the world is going to catch up to us because they're going to apply their way of developing athletes towards women's soccer, and we're going to fall behind. But you know we're always going to have that tradition, that nous, that know-how of how to win big games in big moments and never panic. Because that, that is going to be a tradition that is going to be spread through the U.S. team for generations from what's happening now, from winning games like the one they won today. So a tremendous victory for the United States women beating England by two goals to one. And they're now through to the final face either Sweden or Holland. Sunday, 11 a.m. will be the kickoff of that one. We return. We'll be joined by Ira Winderman of the Sun Sentinel talking NBA free agency, maybe a little Sacramento Summer League as well. Can you feel the heat down in your soul? Chris Whittingham here until 10 p.m. 560 WQAM. The Miami Heat completed their sign-in trade yesterday to get Jimmy Butler in. They had to give up a first-round pick to the Los Angeles Clippers to do so, along with sending Hassan Whiteside to Portland and Josh Richardson to Philadelphia to discuss that and more. We're joined now from Sacramento, the site of Sacramento Summer League. Ira Winderman, how is there basketball that is played immediately at the start of free agency? Like It begins and then there's more basketball. This is an absolutely absurd schedule. You know what? It is, Chris, but it shows you the two sides of the equation, that for every guy out there getting a $200 million contract, there's some guys here playing in summer league trying for a $50,000 guarantee and and a two-way contract at the end of their rainbow. So you really are seeing playing out both sides of basketball, including when the Heat play the Kings tonight at 11 o'clock on NBA TV. And you can check that out uh, at that point. Now, uh, yesterday there was a uh, debut for Tyler Hero that was uh, quality, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, especially because it showed he could be more than just a shooter, that he could be a combo player. And I guess my initial impression, Chris, is this. I can see him filling, now I don't know if people like this comparison, the Tyler Johnson role, Mm. that he can also play uh, sort of as a tweener guard, 
also can handle when needed. And let's face it, if they do trade Goran Dragic, all of a sudden this team might be in need of ball handlers. So it was kind of neat how the Heat in the first game out of the box just threw him out there, gave him the ball, and said, hey, kid, run some offense. And that, and so let's dig into it now. So the good stuff is the trading, the free agency, and all that. Do you think sure. that there is still an, a, a chance on for the Miami Heat here to trade Goran Dragic, or do you think they're happy that they got away from this uh, Clippers sign-and-trade and, and getting off all this salary while managing to keep Goran Dragic? Do you think that there is still a, a chance for them to trade him? Yeah, I'd say greater than 50% and mm. probably even far greater than that because let's face it, Right now, as I wrote today at SunSentinel.com, they're up against the hard cap and, and over it right now. Basically, they have to get to that threshold, um, $138.9 million total team payroll, basically by Saturday when the Jimmy Butler trade can be completed. The only mechanism right now to do it is to use the stretch payment form, format on Ryan Anderson. And Chris, as you know, there's nothing worse, including when you're covering football, than dead money on your cap. Yep. And it would be hits of about $5 million dollars in 2020, and especially 2021, when they look to be back in the cap race game, when James Johnson and Kelly Olynyk and Deion Waiters are off the books. So I think they really want to avoid that. And if you can excise Goran Dragic's contract, you might have the flexibility to add a little bit more for this season, possibly including Boogie Cousins. And and that would certainly be interesting, uh, especially now because there, there is. I mean, I guess Myers Leonard can be your third big uh, yeah. with Olinick and with Bam Adebayo. But I, I do j- just overall, we're joined here by Arrow Winman of the Sun Sentinel. Find interesting what happens next year, building around Jimmy Butler, right? So when you're into 2021, what do you think the Heat are going to be looking to do? Is it to try and open up as much cap space as they can? You know, keep you know Justice Winslow as an expiring uh, for that point because really they can clear their books at 20. 2021 is that what they're I mean because th- there's an extension for Bam Adebayo not too far away you have to you have to make a decision on justice so do you think the goal is going to be enter 21 with as much cap space as possible I, I do I, I think with the exception of three guys I think it's hey Jimmy get comfortable with these nice supporting pieces in Bam Adebayo Justice Winslow and maybe even Chris Derrick Jones Jr. and then go out and possibly get two more real pieces to go for it so I think Jimmy was sold on Part one of two parts. We will be competitive because we're the Heat and we never played a tank, much to the consternation of radio host Chris Whittingham. And then number (laughs) two, in 2021, we can give you your own team. So I think for Jimmy Butler, there were two different sort of uh, blueprints laid out there. That's why I think it's really important not to stretch Ryan Anderson. And it is incredible how much time we're spending using the name Ryan Anderson. Right, especially when a year ago when he joined and people were like, well, what's he going to do in the team? Like People are doing the, doing this with Myers Leonard now. Right. And I just I can't see anything more than a 10 minutes a game foul no, trouble for... Th- he's your third big now, yeah. though. I mean, if Bam Adebayo or Kelly Olynyk can't play or can't start, yeah. he's it. But you know what, Chris? I would be just as not as surprised to see Myers Leonard traded in the next couple of days. Sure. Again, you can trade another player immediately as long as he's not what the NBA calls aggregated. In other words, you can trade Myers Leonard at his $11 million plus, let's say, Derek Jones, you know, for $13 million going out. It would just be one player going out. So if anyone has interest in Myers Leonard and his trick-shooting wife or whatever, they could just sort of make a trade, excise that, and that could help them against the tax also. I think a lot in play between now and Saturday. One of the things that I'm curious about is 
if Miami at some point in rebuilding this roster can take on a few more assets just because there is real concern right now for me that they've doubled down on the Goran Dragic trade in terms of now you're out of a tradable first round pick until 2025, which is just a remarkable amount of time. And when you do get to a point where if in 2020 you can attract some free agents, you're going to need to have some stuff to fill out the rest of the roster. I mean, you've seen Toronto make big moves with Jakob Podol, a guy that they drafted, right? So they were able to fill out trades with the stuff that they've just been collecting for a long time and the Heat are just short on stuff right now other than young players you know in Bam a really good one and in Justice a solid one and who knows what they have in Tyler Hero but do you think for Goran Dragic or even the expiring of Myers Leonard they can get anything even if it's a second round pick in return to 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 sort of build up that armament a little bit? You know, it's funny because I spoke to someone involved you know in the game about that today and honestly Chris I think the Heat are at the point this sounds absurd that I think they would trade Goran Dragic for nothing, for one of those protected, we don't actually get a second-round pick, just to ease the situation and where they are now and move forward. With the thought, number one, Goran can't be here after this season, basically, unless maybe he takes a one-year deal at, at, at longer money in 2020, just to extend out to 2021, that's possible. But I, I think it's people know the heat situation. People know the hard cap. People know the luxury tax. There's a way for the Heat if they trade Goran for nothing. This is incredible to get below the luxury tax, to not even start that repeater clock so that when Jimmy Butler's number keeps going up and up and up, they can play in the luxury tax without being in the repeater tax. So I think it's more a matter of offloading salary or not. I'm not sure where they go from that. Let's face it, Chris. If you trade Goran for nothing and you start Justice Winslow at point guard, you darn well better find another or two minimum salary point guards to be there also because mm-hmm. all of a sudden the team that had so many wings and everything would be in quite the pickle there. Anything in the G League for them there? I mean, I'm sure there's something somewhere at a minimum because, yeah. as I like to say, there's always an Ish Smith out there for everyone. <laughs> there so is. I'm, I'm sure there's someone. I'm sure Briante Weber is standing by his phone right now. There's, there, there, but, there's always a Yogi Ferrell out there for someone yeah, to go and exactly. find. There's, there's always someone there who can, you know, chew gum and dribble the ball at the same time. So <laughs> they'll do that. I think, Chris, you're going to see a real heat churn. I think this is the start of the churn. I mean, the one thing you look at the heat, whether it was that big Jason Williams and Antoine Walker trade way back in the day in 2005, you know, or even more recent moves. Generally, when the Heat make a move, they make a lot of moves. When the Heat reset, they reset with an Olenek, with a Deion Waiters, with a James Johnson. So I don't think that Hassan and Jimmy Butler and Josh Richardson are the end of it. I think they might just be the start of it. Now, my my question is, and we're joined here by Arrow Interman of the Sun Sentinel, is, okay, so... Are they doing well here? Because a lot of people yesterday were, you know, wanting to start parades down Biscayne Boulevard because Whiteside is gone and he's been, you know, persona non grata number one with the Heat fans. And they were so delighted that you get Jimmy Butler and you get off of Whiteside on the same trade. But here's here's why I sort of wonder, right? First off, having to trade Whiteside and use a first round pick to at least get off of some of that money is fixing a mistake with, in some respects, another mistake, right? You don't want to be okay. giving up first-round picks just to fix mistakes. Um, sure. On top of the fact that if you get rid of Goran Dragic for nothing, yes, you got three or four years' worth of play out of him, but ultimately nothing too fruitful, and you gave up two first-round picks for him. Are these moves that, in general, are the sign of a team that's operating well? Are these good moves? Yes, obviously, you get Jimmy Butler in return, and that is the start of a rebuild, but at the same time, these are mistakes begetting mistakes. Yeah, you see, the Heat's thought is this, is 
when you open space and, and you make a change, who else does it benefit not involved in the trade? For example, when you let go of us on Whiteside, you're also opening the complete development and unwrapping of Bam Adebayo. No more controversy. No more who plays how many minutes. No more how do we get us on even if 24 minutes. So to heat look at it another way is they're unwrapping something. If they give up Goran Dragic, those two first-round picks you mentioned, including one the Clippers now own, unprotected in 2021, it's we're unwrapping Justice Winslow at point guard. We're exploring all of his possibilities while, while we're in a developmental stage or not. Of everything that went on yesterday, including the giving up of a first-round pick that honestly might not be extended till 2028 possibly, you know, depending on where the Heat fall in the lottery, hopefully not by then, I think the biggest question is this. Did they give up too much on the value of Josh Richardson? Because in a salary cap league, it's not only about how good you are – it's about how good you are relative to your contract. And I think, Chris, you would agree at the kind of money that Josh Richardson is earning, he will be a value contract unquestionably for the remainder of that deal. You're not so sure the same about Jimmy Butler at 34 years old making $40 million. I like Josh Richardson, but I realize by now he's never going to be an ultimate alpha for even half the games. I think Jimmy Butler can be that. Agreed. And I think that trade works out, is sort of in theory, right, incredibly well for both teams because Philadelphia gets a really good contributor. There's probably too many alphas on that Philly team to begin with. Yeah. You get a really good contributor for a third of the price at Jimmy Butler, who is a younger player and sort of adds a little bit of something different to that team. And it allows them to go and get Al Horford, which is a huge signing for Philadelphia. And for me, at least as things stand at the moment, make them the favorites at the Eastern Conference. And I, I do just want to sort of nail down on this from you, Ira. How big is it to have Jimmy Butler as an alpha-type player? For, for, from when you watch the Heat the last few years, without that guy, I mean, other than Deion Waiters and, you know, a month-and-a-half stretch, really have a clear, obvious talent as an alpha, as a leader, they so desperately miss that, that I think it's it's a it's a jump in eight or nine victories. And just having a guy other than Dwayne Wade at the end of his career that you'd legitimately turn to at the end of games who feels that confidence and that leadership from not just a Udonis Haslam way, but in a basketball way. How much were they missing that these last few years? Obviously they were, but there's a word someone when I was at the Summer League yesterday brought up to me that I think is important here also, Chris, and that's this word gravity. And what the mm. NBA person was talking about was this. How much does Jimmy Butler draw a second defender? How much does he slant the floor toward him? Because that's what superstardom is about. Everyone gravitates toward Giannis Antetokounmpo. Everyone gravitates toward LeBron and Anthony Davis and, 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 play, and Joel Embiid. So the question is, and this was the question brought up to me, as much as Jimmy can be a scoring threat, He's not necessarily the guy where you're immediately running a second defender at him or you're constantly keeping all eyes on him. He is a workman-like scorer. He doesn't have that uber-athleticism, to be honest. He doesn't have the ultimate shoot-at-any-time-for-anywhere threat, to be honest. And he doesn't have the dramatic finish flair. He's sort of Riley-like. He's a workman-like player. But I think that's part two of this, and that's the question I have. Will Jimmy Butler have enough gravity that he can slant the floor? That's what Dwayne Wade did. Dwayne Wade, you opened his prime. You always had an eye on him. That's not what Goran Dragic did. No team when Goran was the Heat's best player did they say, keep an eye on him at all times, run the second guy at him. So that's what I'll be curious when I watch the Heat, see mm -hmm. how Eric Spolster sets up the floor. If you don't have gravity, 
then your real worth as an overall superstar really is diminished. That's, that's an interesting point because for me, I, I do think of him as as having that talent. But I mean, obviously, we'll see it uh, depending on defensive schemes and. Is it almost by default, right? I mean, do you almost have that by default? Whereas, you know, maybe the Heat in previous years, you just defend them straight up. But because Jimmy Butler is such a standout talent in comparison to those other players on the Heat team, that he just sort of draws it just because if you're looking at a scout, you're going, well, we have to throw him at him because who else are we throwing it at? And I think that for me is is what's going to be different about this team. Whereas there's nobody on the floor. At least Jimmy can be three quarters of that. And that changes right. the math a little bit for his teammates. And that's what the Heat are hoping for, and that's why you're loading up on shooters, whether it's Tyler Hero coming in, whether it's trying to get Duncan Robinson more touches, like we saw in the first half last night of the Summer League game against the Lakers. It's always get an attacking guy, surround him with shooters, because, again, for better or worse, you've lost, if there ever was, the post-threat of of Hassan Whiteside. I, I don't think Bam is in any way that kind of player. Kelly Olynyk can be in his unusual style. When he works near the basket, he can spray the ball out because his little ump and under junk does tend to work also. So that's what you need. You need the shooting to spread the floor. As soon as Tyler Hero was introduced, Pat Riley came over to me and he said, so you think we need shooters? We're getting shooters. And he told me they're getting at least one more. Now, whether that was Jimmy Butler in his view or another player to be added, we'll see. Or maybe he just meant and we'll develop someone like a Duncan Robinson or maybe even a, a Kendrick Nunn who's in camp with them also. Yeah, and, and that's the last thing I wanted to leave you with here is what's next for Miami? What, what are they going to be doing uh, sort of in the free agent market? There was links today with Boogie Cousins. Um, what do they have left? It, obviously, it depends on the Dragic trade and, and the stretch uh, with Ryan Anderson, but what do they have left that they can do uh, to maybe add a little bit more to this team? Well, number one, they're going to look at Kawhi because if Kawhi doesn't go to the Lakers – People here are already talking about that Dragic is the guy the Lakers will move to. The perfect one-year wait when you don't get an elite guy. And, Chris, I think Goran would fit in perfectly with that team. He's not an alpha personality, but he doesn't mind spotting up and taking shots, so that it could be as simple as that. If Kawhi does go to the Lakers, the money dries up. I still think there's a chance that Goran Dragic could wind up with the Mavericks in some permutation. Dallas still has the money. Not a lot of other places to spend it anyway, so that's possible. Otherwise, I think you write it out. When you're a hard-cap team, life is just so different. It's the one thing the Heat have tried to avoid for years. The other part of the equation is this. If they're hard-cap, they're going to carry a maximum of 14 and for extended stretches likely go with 13 players. Does it preclude Udonis Haslam, God bless him, mm. for sort of having that emeritus role? And then I know this sounds so minor, but it's not for a hard-cap team. And I wrote about this also at SunSentinel.com. The Heat's two-way players will matter this year. They'll need productive minutes from those players, at least occasionally, when they get an injury situation. So, again, when you watch the Heat Kings tonight at 11 o'clock, don't get caught up in the Heat summer roster. Watch all these summer league games. You just as easily can sign a two-way player off of any other team, as long as they're not under NBA contract and not a draft choice, as you can under your own. Two years ago, the Heat did that. Derek Walton Jr. had a great summer league with Orlando. The Heat poached him away. I think finding the right two-way players will matter because when you're playing with a limited, taxed-out, hard-cap roster, you're going to need those players. It's amazing to me how much better the Heat have gotten in the margins. And you've probably noticed it in your mm -hmm. time covering them almost from the beginning. It's one of the things that kind of makes me think of the Heat really as genuinely a sleeping giant. I mean, even beyond the fact that they built the big three, they've gotten better at things that are not the big-ticket items, which is yeah. kind of how, how winning is done in the NBA. They've gotten so much better at this. 
And I think even you seeing other teams like a Philadelphia today that does a, a, a small signing like a James Ennis or brings back a Mike Scott, teams realize those guys matter over 82, especially now that we're seeing these maintenance programs and load management and all of that. It, it's almost like, and it's kind of weird, Chris, that your superstars are only expected to play 60 games, and you can darn well bet after the season Kawhi Leonard had, every single team he's talking to, he's making it clear to them, I'm good for about 60 or so this season. So the little margin guys can become infrequent contributors, but still very necessary. Ira Winman, you read his work on Twitter at Ira Heatbeat, and you check him out, sunsentinel.com as well. Ira, appreciate the time. And I'll let you rejoin Bobrovsky conversation already in progress. Bobrovsky! Put him, put him away, Bobrovsky. Appreciate it. All right, that is Ira Winderman joining us here on WQAM here until 10 p.m. Radio.com. I feel so close to you right now. It's a force field. I wear my heart up on my sleeve like a big deal. Chris Whittingham here on 560 WQAM. Here until 10 p.m. this evening. Our thanks to Ira Winderman for joining us in the previous segment. Talking about that Miami Heat trade of Jimmy Butler. Now, I really felt it yesterday on social media. I got uh, I got hammered a bit for being negative. Why is that? About the trade. Why, why are you being negative about such a positive thing? Okay, so here's where I'm being negative, right? Miami Heat, get Jimmy Butler. And I'll mention later why that's such a big move. Like, I love the move of getting Jimmy Butler. By the way, uh, Josh Richardson, just as I began the conversation, has just tweeted, uh, thanking Miami. This is a uh, quote from his Twitter account, at J underscore Rich One. Miami, thank you. Thank you for giving this kid an opportunity that otherwise I'm not sure he would have gotten. Thank you to the coaches and my teammates. Thank you to the fans for embracing me. My years there have been great, and I will never forget you guys. Always love. And that is from Josh Richardson. So I, I love the move, right? I mean, if it was just a trade of Jimmy Butler for Josh Richardson, you get him into the team, even if you're hard-capped. It is a massive step forward for this team to have a superstar player because they didn't have one, and you are – at ground zero in the NBA, and then you add in the other factors, right? You're ground zero in the NBA without a superstar. And then you're even further in ground zero because you have, you're out of draft pick, right, in 2021. And then you're in further ground zero because you have no cap space, right? So it is just, we're, in, we're beneath the ground in terms of where the Miami Heat are starting. And now we're above ground. Just by adding a superstar player, which I believe Jimmy Butler to be, he proved himself to me in the postseason to be someone who is a playoff caliber performer. And that is something that is so fundamental to me when it comes to NBA basketball. You must, you must be a team that is a player who rises to the occasion in the postseason. And this seems very cliche, very cliche. But I am a huge believer. In the Draymond Green idiom, which is there are 82 game players and there are 16 game players. 
And I think the Heat are a roster of 82-game players. Regular season, stat fillers, can get you to the postseason maybe. But no one really with the killer instinct in the postseason. And we saw it the last time the Heat made the postseason in 2017 against Philadelphia when they had nobody. I mean, Richardson and Wins. I mean, I actually, I thought Winslow rose up a little bit. He might be the only guy, but I mean, it was Dwayne Wade. After being acquired from not playing in Cleveland and earlier that year, there was anecdotes about him, you know, celebrating National Pancake Day, enjoying himself some pancakes when that would never have flown here. I mean, he had to get into Miami Heat shape mid-season to be fine enough for the Miami Heat. And so you get into the postseason, you're going, oh, maybe he'll help you. No, he was the only reason you won a game in that round. And I just don't think the Heat have it in terms of postseason caliber guys. I don't think Goran Dragic is that guy. He's an, And I loved Goran Dragic's game before he came here. And I was so desperate for them just to get a point guard, uh, not name Mario Chalmers, just because I was sick of him. But I don't think Goran Dragic is that, is that guy. They don't have enough players in that roster who are playoff caliber guys. And then in Jimmy Butler, not only do you have a playoff caliber guy, but you also have a playoff caliber alpha who, on a team with Ben Simmons... Joel Embiid, and Tobias Harris, and J.J. Redick, big-time guys in the NBA. He, he was their lead. In the last five minutes of big playoff games last year, Jimmy Butler led them. And he will absolutely be that guy here in Miami. To have one of those guys is huge. But at what cost? And this is where I come down on the more negative end. So first off, again... We've done this a thousand times, but if the Heat had cap space, they would have had to give up nothing for Jimmy Butler. He was so desperate to come here. If you just had a max salary space, you could have done that for nothing. Furthermore, one of the ways in which you were trying to get that deal done and still might, according to Ira Winterman, who just joined us in the last segment, is by getting rid of Goran Dragic. You gave up two first-round picks one of which you still owe in two years to get Goran Dragic in 2015, 2016. And the thinking, no, it was 2015. And the thinking was that they were a point guard away from really competing. And if Chris Bosh had just stayed healthy, they could have competed in the Eastern Conference. But again, if you're giving up, to me, you give up first-round picks. If you think, for example, as Brooklyn did, that they were going to get, they knew they were going to get, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They knew that they were giving themselves a chance to win a championship. And for the Heat to not just give up one, but two, for Goran Dragic, a player that got them nowhere near the NBA championship. And again, love his game. He's a great human. He got them nowhere near the NBA championship. And now you're making another move that, while it gets you closer, you're still nowhere near winning a championship. And you have to then... If you want to continue to add to this team, trade a first-round pick in 2025 to execute a trade of that magnitude. So before you've actually built the team that you want to build to compete for a championship, you're out two first-round picks. And not even necessarily to draft players, right? Because people will say, oh, but... You can get players in 20 and 22. They're lottery protected. So if in, 20, if in 23 you have that situation where you can go and get a player in the top 10 if you have a pick in the top 10, cool. But you don't have a pick you can trade until 25. And you just see 
Toronto figure out... First off, you get Kawhi Leonard with stuff. You have players, you have picks that you can fill out a trade with. And then you trade for Mark Gasol with stuff, right? You have to have that stuff. You have to have built the team around the player. And so you do that with acquiring picks from other teams. The the Toronto Raptors pulled off this incredible trade where they got multiple first-round picks from the New York Knicks, and that's part of how they've built this. I just don't think they've done enough in, done enough in that area, and now their negative down first-round picks, again, you get Jimmy Butler, but you're correcting mistakes. The first mistake was not having cap space, right? If you had the cap space, you could have done this for free. You could have just brought him into an existing team that you felt good about if you just had the cap space. And the second thing is, is that in order to get off of Hassan Whiteside, you had to give up a first-round pick. Because again, you made a mistake signing Hassan Whiteside to a max contract. So ultimately, while you do have the positive outcome of getting Jimmy Butler on your team, you've had to give up things that you value, Josh Richardson, and a first-round pick, because ultimately, you're covering for mistakes. See, I think you and I run into the same problem when it comes to the Miami Heat. And I think you might be running into the wall a little harder than I than I do a little bit in this case. The Heat are never going to be a team that values draft picks because they're never going to look to, to, to have a losing season. The, when they ended up in the top five to get Dwayne Wade and when they ended up in the top five to take Michael Beasley, that was the only time, I think, in the entire history of the franchise we've been... In, in, in the Riley era. In the Riley era. Okay, yeah, in the Riley era because you go back to the expansion draft. Sure. But they don't they don't think that way. You know, I, I'm like you. I'm saying, listen, when they lost, when Dwayne Wade signed somewhere else, we had a team like, like Derek Williams and all these guys. I was like, mm-hmm. this is perfect. This is a tankaroo team getting the lottery. You know, the st- yeah. they started that way. They started but 11 the and problem, 30. But the, the problem happened is that the Miami Heat is also their strength was their weakness in that in that regard. They take bad players and they get them in the best shape of their, the best shape of their careers. They get them playing the best team basketball of their careers. And then they fool themselves into thinking that Deion Waiters is going to be, you know, your game closer for the next. And they throw on big contracts. And they th- and now they're paying for those contracts now. But the point is, so you can get upset that they're tossing first round draft po- draft picks out the window, but it's just how Pat Riley has always operated. He doesn't value mm-hmm. them. He doesn't. He doesn't want to find himself in a scenario where he's picking in where he's picking in the lottery. Understood, but. To me, you have to then understand their value to the rest of the league and even as trade assets, right? Because, again, you have three ways to get players. Cap space, of which you have none. Draft picks, of which you've now lost two. And trades, of which you just don't have enough. Like, if you want to do Brad Beal right now, I don't know if without taking John Wall you can do that because you don't have a first-round pick to give them until 25. And I think even if you did take John Wall, they want a first-round pack, a first-round pick back in return for Brad Beal. So you have to understand, to me, that my, my vantage point on this is if you're giving up a first-round pick in a trade, it better be in the service of winning a championship, right? And understanding that one day the Heat hope to get there, they're not there now, and they're not there if they finish the Jimmy Butler trade. And so understanding that even in the moment, they probably didn't want to do it. They wanted to just give Dragic to Dallas, and that would have been enough, and you would have been job done and, and feeling fine where you are. At the same time, they just don't have enough to then build on what they have unless they really hit big in free agency and hit big on G League signings and hit big on getting players to come here at discounts. like it, it, You give yourself no margin for error when you can't trade a first-round pick for six years. It, it's very difficult to operate that way. And the other thing, too, is, yes, the Heat don't necessarily value these picks, but 
they traded Josh Richardson, a guy they drafted at 40, and a guy that they feel really good about the way that they developed him. They have a development program now. That's actually kind of the remarkable thing that they've done is, yes, the white side tombstone is guy that the fans got sick of. But really, his tombstone should be guy off the scrap heap that you turn into $100 million player. Tyler Johnson, you were happy to get rid of him, but his tombstone is guy who turned into a $50 million player. Josh Richardson, his tombstone is 40th overall pick that you turned into a $40 million player. Think about, I mean, J- Justice Winslow is a $40 million player once they, you know, if, if they, you know, uh, engage his team option. Bam Adebayo will be a $70 or $80 million player when he's up for extension. They've developed $250, $300 million worth of value out of the draft, out of young players. And they can continue to do that in the G League. And I think they will. I mean, I think Derek Jones Jr. is going to be someone who will eventually generate a level of value. Might not be $40 million, It might be $20 million, uh, for another team. But Dallas wanted him as part of uh, this sign-and-trade. They wanted Olenek, and they wanted Derek Jones Jr. So they can continue to create this value. But ultimately, my feeling is, is yes, you do Jimmy Butler a thousand times out of a thousand. But you're ultimately, again, doubling down on your mistakes and continuing to operate with your arm tied around your back. And while Pat Riley said, he said it in his press conferences multiple times, yes, there are obstacles, but they're not really obstacles. And look, he was right. They went into free agency with over the cap in the tax and still managed to get Jimmy Butler in a sign-and-trade. When I, I didn't think Philly would be up for it, but they managed to get Jimmy Butler in a sign-and-trade. And so... Yes, there are no obstacles, but why? it would be like if you were running the 200-yard dash and decided, I'm just going to put some hurdles out here before the race so that while everyone else is running a race on terra firma, I'm going to run a hurdles race while also trying to catch Usain Bolt. And it just makes no sense to me why you're giving yourself hurdles and obstacles and difficulties again and again and again for no reason. Well, okay, for a reason, right, to correct mistakes. But ultimately, at a certain point, you do have to pay the original sin. And I just kind of wonder, when are they going to pay the original sin? Like, six years from now. It's just going to like Never this is just, This is just refinancing debt. That's, that's what the Heat have done with the Never Jimmy Butler happen. trade. They're always refinancing. Just pay off your bill at some point. And they're and they're just it seems like bite the bullet and suck. Yeah, I've been saying it, but the yeah. night's never going to right. happen. Right. Well, uh, the thing is that this summer they could have filed for bankruptcy, which is all right, fine, we're out. We're going to spend the next two years getting our house in order, Not and then we'll go again. Nope, we're refinancing again. All right, see how this works out. Chris Whittingham here until ten. Here's Scott Farrell weeknights beginning at ten on WQAM. One of my greatest memories of working on 560 QAM in Miami was taking the Marlins to the World Series in 2003, and not only getting there, but beating the Yankees in six. I had a section the entire season in left field, the Pharrell of Indians, and we went to every game, pounding beers, cheering on the Marlins. Next thing you know, they make the playoffs. Then they go all the way to the World Series, and they beat the Yankees. Does it get any better than that? No, it doesn't. Listen to AM 560 WQAM and FM 96.5 HD2. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.